What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Ben here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I had the immense pleasure of sitting back down with our good friend Nick Batia. It's time to discuss. Discuss. We discussed? What did we discuss? No, we discussed his new book, Laird Money, from Golden Dollars to Bitcoin and CBDCs. Very incredible book. You'll hear it. We talk about it in the episode and Laird Money and Bitcoin, how it's revolution, how we borked the monetary system. We fucked up the money. We need to fix the money. We're going to fix the world. I think you guys are going to enjoy this episode. It was brought to you by our good friends at the mother fucking cash up. Cash up. Help me stack. Sats, sense, sats, sell sats, and receive sats. We're saying sats, 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 sats. Because sats are the standard. For you freaks who are new to Bitcoin, new to this podcast, new to the world. What are sats, you may be asking? Sats are the smallest unit of a Bitcoin. One Bitcoin can be broken into 100 million Satoshis, or sats as we call them. I like to say we're stacking sats. You're, you're, you're constantly purchasing sats and DCAing into sats and using sats as a standard a savings account, if you will. Cash App allows you to do that. I mentioned DCA, that's dollar cost average. If you just want to set it and forget it and buy a set amount of Bitcoin on a set cadence, Cash App allows you to do that daily, bi-weekly, or weekly. Mix it up there. It should be daily, weekly, bi-weekly. But you get the point, okay? Cash App's allowing stack sats, send sats, receive sats. They've got their boost program, which sometimes allows you to get sats back. Uh, on top of this, uh, Cash App can be your bank account. You're offering account numbers and routing numbers so you get your paychecks direct deposited into the app and start stacking sats sooner. Let's get some alliteration here. Stacking sats sooner. Uh, doesn't sound great. We'll work on it. Um, if you haven't downloaded the Cash App yet, make sure you do so. When you do, use the code stacking sats. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this episode with Nick. Go get his book. Grow your now. Understand what we're doing here with this Bitcoin revolution. Enjoy. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Sup, freaks? Just ninja launched on our on our guest, Nick Batia. Nick, welcome back to the podcast. What's up, Marty? What's up, freaks? Nothing, man. We're just reminiscing about our children. This is why we're in it, right? Absolutely. Congrats on uh, your son about to turn one year old. That's awesome. My daughter's three and uh, we got to enjoy it. It's the best, it's the best time. It really is. Hey, you're saying it goes by fast. Like I'm like astonished and he's going to be one year old. It's like, holy crap, man. Slow down, run around. He got teeth starting to talk a little bit. It's like, oh my gosh. Just got to enjoy every moment. Right. And try to make a better world for them. 
right? And that's what uh, I try to do with this podcast and you're trying to do with your education about Bitcoin and its potential to create a new financial stack, right? Layered money. Shout out to you for, for writing and publishing this book. It's fucking incredible. Um, and that's what we were just chatting about. Like, how do we want to structure this, this conversation? I think let's start with layered money, obviously, uh, from gold and dollars to Bitcoin and central bank digital currencies. Uh, I, I love this book particularly. Um, uh, just from the like quick skimming that I've done over the last couple of weeks when I've had time, because again, you get into very deep historical context to, to sort of uh, highlight the evolution that, that uh, monetary systems have had throughout history um, and setting that up for a potential future monetary system, layered money monetary system that could be built on Bitcoin. So I know you've been working on this for a while. How's it feel to finally have it out there? It feels awesome. Uh, you know, it's, it's uh, three years in the making for sure. Um, but I didn't actually start writing the book until April. So about, you know, a month into the pandemic <laughs> where, you know, I sat down and it's just like, the time is now for Bitcoin. It had just had that uh, complete capitulation uh, below 4K. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, I knew that the pandemic world would bring about this awareness and the urgency, you know, just fully took hold. And uh, I had already quit my job uh, in the bond market. <clears throat> I was writing for OpenNode and I was, um, you know, writing my own articles and exploring this new, you know, what a Bitcoin profession would look like for me. And, um, you know, when the world shut down, it, it was just like, this is the time the book has to be written uh, I had set up this layered concept uh, just a few months before and um, then I just hunkered down and uh, basically, you know, bit, we bet, we bet, you know, my family, we bet our life on this book that this is a message that needs to be told. It's a story that needs to be written. I'm the one to do it. And, um, you know, we'll sacrifice everything around us to put this out, uh, and and uh, and here we are, and I I'm really happy that we did it, and I say we because you know it's a family effort. My wife and I, um, <clears throat> it's a joint effort when you're trying to do something like this, and uh, she actually has published two children's books already. Uh, you can uh, see them right here and right here. Um, above mine, because mine's the third one in the family here. Um, but yeah, so she published two uh, children's bilingual books in English and Hindi, her native tongue. And, um, you know, my daughter uh, is growing up in this household where I speak English and my wife speaks English um, first, but then she speaks Hindi with her parents and you know, Hindi when she goes back home to India. So it's a way, it was a way for her to teach her language to her daughter. And, um, you know, this is a way for me to teach money to my daughter too. And so we're both, uh, so, you know, she's the first author in the family, I'm the second, and she had, you know, inspired me to do this. And, um, 
So it's, it's, it's a joy and it's, it, and it is a joint effort. And the whole last month um, after the book was pretty much done, uh, she took over the editing process and um, helped me really refine it. Oh yeah. I love the family effort. And says she's teaching your daughter Hindi, which is a language, arguable that money is a language, right? The money uh, language that helps you define and, and describe value right in the markets and i think that's like a, a perfect segue into like the time value of money and how these layered money systems have evolved over time again you get to a historical context going back to uh the medici bank uh in in Flor- uh, in italy uh and the way that layered money system worked with with gold and silver reserves in the bank in the middle and then you have these these bills of exchange and then um, uh, you go into the, the Antwerp bankers and their bills of exchange and notes and how this evolved. And so, uh, did you know this history before going to the book or did, did you sort of find a deeper understanding through, through research and, and what was most illuminating to you? Yeah. So what happened, the first thing that, um, in, in inspired this concept of layered money, um, in terms of not Bitcoin and Lightning, because that is something that I had written about already in 2018. Um, But this idea that the dollar is a hierarchy itself, that reading that paper in financial academia and building on that thesis that the dollar is a layered system too. And um, so where does Bitcoin fit into the future of layers of money and money and money hierarchy in the future. <clears throat> I decided to tell the story of the hierarchy of money, uh, you know, based on this academic concept that credit systems are inherently hierarchical because they come from balance sheets. So if a, if a financial institution owns something, it's their asset and they issue something, it's their liability. And that itself creates a hierarchy between the bank's assets and the bank's liabilities. The assets are senior to the liabilities. And this is what layers of money um, is trying to tell the story that balance sheets and a hierarchy of balance sheets itself, uh, it dictates the way that our monetary system works. So I didn't know uh, the history of Antwerp or even the history of Renaissance Florence and their, um, their coinage. But when I decided to tell this story of layered money, I had to figure out where to start the story. And so I thought about coins versus gold that itself and you know, thought that this idea of a denomination, a coin uh, that we could also name our wealth in, not just gold, but the gold florin because it was one unit and that unit ended up being constant for over 300 years. So people actually started to denominate their lives, their businesses in Florin. And I read a book called The Economy of Renaissance Florence uh, that was foundational to the start of the story of layered money. And, you know, if you guys want to geek out on it, it's an awesome read. Some of it is, um, you know, it's a long book, but there's so much on the monetary system and how it evolved in the 1100s, 1200s, 1300s. Um, And so that book was the first book that I dove into 
um, and decided to start the story in Renaissance Florence. Because actually the, the title of the book when I wrote it was the Renaissance of money because Bitcoin is the rebirth of money. And the story started in Renaissance Florence. So I thought that Renaissance of money would be a poetic title and a way to um, describe what I'm trying to talk about. It ended up being the title of chapter seven only. Um, and of course my wife named it Layered Money, which is genius. Uh, uh, she helped me figure out that name, but the history of Renaissance Florence and then the history of Antwerp, like where it went from there. So the economy of Renaissance Florence, the book led me to Antwerp because there were passages in there that said, you know, as Florence uh, faded away in its importance, the money market basically uh, was born and transferred into Antwerp. And then I read about Antwerp. And then when Antwerp concluded in the 1500s as the center of commerce in Europe, the story transitioned to Amsterdam. And so then I went and did the Amsterdam research and it transitioned to England and the Bank of England. And then I knew where it was going, right? Because I had the Fed story and the Bitcoin story figured out in terms of how I was going to try to tell it. But the entire first uh, three to four chapters of the book was, um, you know, a full immersive research process. And I fell down a bunch of individual rabbit holes there, um, not all of which, you know, make it into the book. Uh, but that's that's part of research. You got to filter out. Um, and I made the book as short as possible um, because I didn't want to waste anybody's time. Um, the book can be read in one or two days uh, based on what I'm hearing. And I just didn't have the patience to write this 500 page book and tell all these side stories. This is an urgent message. Like red alert, everybody out there. Bitcoin is here and it is taking over. It's eating the whole monetary system in front of our eyes. Like imagine if I had waited for Elon Musk to buy 1.5 billion of Bitcoin to start writing a book on it. No, it, it was urgent as shit. And so that's why, you know, we just have to, you know, dedicate 2020 to putting this message out. And the timing couldn't have been better when I was literally putting the last few words on it. We struck Bitcoin's price at 34K on its 12th birthday. Awesome. And, and, um, and it actually reached like 40K by the end of that week. And I had to figure out where I was going to, because, you know, I quote the price a few times and I wanted to make it consistent throughout. So we picked 34K. Uh, the 12th birthday press. Awesome. Well, again, it's an incredible book because setting the historical con context and then really setting the alarm bells off like Bitcoin's here, should probably look into it, going to be very important moving forward. Not only that, the fact that Bitcoin exists, that it's better uh, and that it will probably be widely adopted moving forward and you should probably get it while you can, but uh, alternatively, like the dollars in disrepair. And that's like the one thing I love about the book is there's this visual aspect to it throughout where you have these pyramids that sort of uh, break down the, the uh, layered money systems over time and you get to the dollar system and it's just the, the amount of, of crap in that particular pyramid is like, it just 
looks uh, extremely complex and, and just really highlights very succinctly and straightforward, straightforwardly, like how the dollar is in disrepair and how complex the, the dollar system has become at this yeah, point. And- and that's uh, the the drive home message about chapters five and six and the dollar being in disrepair is that trying to actually understand every complexity of the dollar system and the Fed and offshore banking is not something that I was willing to do, uh, you know, in terms of education. It is so and a lot of it is still above my head. And I've spent 10 years researching the Fed in an intensive way. And so trying to translate that into a book for the masses, which I did try to write a book for the masses, not for financial people necessarily, or even for Bitcoiners, but for anybody that's interested in what is happening with money today. And then to try to detail what the Fed is doing, I'm gonna lose the reader. And I even did, I had to simplify it because I had helpful people in my circle that helped me say, hey, you know what? You lost me a little bit here. Um, This is too dense. And so I had to back up, back up and just drive home a couple points. Number one, it's incredibly complex. Number two, it kept breaking. It keeps breaking over the last 14 years now. It keeps periodically breaking. And each time it breaks, the Fed has to put more and more band-aids on the whole thing. And it's incredibly fragile today. And so that's all you need to know. You know, getting into the weeds on how exactly each part of the pyramid is broken, you know, there are <laughs> hundreds of Fed papers, BIS papers, um, and you know, even books written on these individual ideas of the euro dollar system being broken, repo being a broken mechanism now, um, interbank lending has been broken in some ways for 14 years, uh, and other insurance mechanisms like credit default swaps or interest rate swaps, and how all of that counterparty risk had to be transferred off the books of each bank into clearinghouses because otherwise, uh, you know, any, any bank that broke could break the whole system. It just and compounds so, the risk. That's right. And so you, you, don't, you don't have to get into the weeds to drive home the point that the dollar is in disrepair. And I don't want to claim that the dollar is going to break in the next couple of years and Bitcoin just comes in and fixes every problem. No, it's gonna be a longer transition. Bitcoin is positioning itself perfectly today and people are naturally leaving the dollar for Bitcoin as we speak every day. So we don't need to um, like mark the end of the dollar and mark the beginning of Bitcoin at any certain point in time. The end of the dollar arguably started in 07 it's not ending tomorrow. It is in disrepair. And the beginning of Bitcoin happened in, in 09. It hasn't taken over, but we're clearly past the first few steps on the way to uh, a Bitcoin-centric financial system or um, at least a situation where Bitcoin is a dominant force in the monetary system. Yeah. And, and I, again, freaks, like the, the you got to go get the book and 
again, you didn't have to get into the weeds and actually the writing content of, of the book when describing the Fed, again, these pyramid visualizations <laughs> really drive the, the point home of how complex the system is. And you mentioned the repo markets, right? And in 2009, that's something I've been harping on the last few weeks after the Wall Street bets thing. It's because uh, the repo markets had their spasm in September 2019 because there was some unexpected liquidity crunch because one bank wanted to move out of cash and into treasuries. And that caused a systemic like contagion uh, in the overnight repo markets. So the Fed had to step in. Again, the Band-Aid they, they added was expanding the list of primary dealers that have access to their window. They added the FICC. And then the FICC was used as a proxy to bail out hedge funds like Citadel, Point72, the Millennium, who do a couple uh, turned out to be like a, at the center of, of the Wall Street bet story a couple of weeks ago. And that was like one of my theories. It's still one of my running theories with the whole Wall Street bets thing is that the system is so systemically fragile that it, these Reddit, these Redditors, this Reddit army, the Tendi army almost pulled forward a systemic collapse with this one stock. It's insane. It is insane. And it's, um, it's really fascinating. And we can actually draw a parallel to the crisis in long-term capital management, the hedge fund um, 20 years ago. And that one uh, hedge fund going under had the potential to break the entire system. And Alan Greenspan actually admitted to Congress that had they not bailed out LTCM via the investment banking counterparties of that hedge fund, um, there was a you know 50% chance that the whole thing would, would come down. And that was a decade before the great financial crisis of 07 to 09. And so each, if basically, here's the way to think about it. If the Fed doesn't come in and put the Band-Aid on when the crisis is happening, the house of cards comes down. And therefore, we have to assume now that every time there is a crisis, it's not even a question whether or not the Fed is going to come in. They're no longer the lender of last resort. They are the lender of only resort. Yeah, it's crazy. You mentioned LTCM, Alan Greenspan. Economy could collapse 2007, 2008. Hank Paulson goes to Ben Bernanke and President Obama or excuse me, President Bush at the time, uh, and, and basically warned Bush, like, hey, if we don't fix this right now, Americans aren't going to be able to get cash at the ATM on Monday morning. Like, that's how bad it was there. Like, again, they've only been compounding these these issues over time with, the, with these Band-Aids. And again, like, you had in 2019, one bank transitioned from cash to treasuries that had a systemic risk. And then a couple of weeks ago, bunch of individuals decide to buy one stock and there's a good argument to be made that that could have triggered a, a systemic collapse which is extremely scary but thank god we have bitcoin right like so transitioning this into like a a optimistic view of the future where where we're not sort of beholden to the fragility of the u.s dollar system and the, and the federal reserve system like what type of hope does bitcoin provide and what do you envision this transition looking like well, the problem with the current system is I don't see uh, the Fed being able to naturally let uh, banks or hedge funds that are 
fragile fail. They'll keep putting band-aids and papering over and bailing out uh, to keep the, the zombie system going, to keep it alive. So the progression to a Bitcoin-based system happens in parallel. It happens, at, it happens at the same time. And so that's why I don't see some big collapse of the dollar and Bitcoin stepping in to replace it. People know the dollar is broken, so they're going to Bitcoin today. And so that transition is, is underway. And that's how I see it unfolding is that it's going, we're going to a world of dual denomination where people, people companies, countries are going to think both in dollars and Bitcoin terms. They're going to have to. Um, we already see corporations now doing this. And I guarantee you, Marty, countries are already long. They just haven't announced it. We, You guys have talked about this a lot. You and Matt talk about this a lot. Who is long already? And it's a game theory on who's going to say that they're long first. But countries, central banks, uh, commercial banks, investment banks, they're already very long Bitcoin, certain ones. And so they're mentally already dual denominated. At least the ones that are buying Bitcoin for the dollar hedge reason, not purely the speculation, but we think that the whole denomination is in jeopardy. So we have to have a parallel uh, backup. It's, it is an insurance policy, it is a hedge because it's an independent denomination. And also, this is also part of the reason why I wrote layered money because in the layers of money, Bitcoin isn't underneath anything else. It is a numerical com commodity. It's uh, a commodity that, that comes from energy. This is a topic that you are very passionate about is the link between energy and Bitcoin. It's a form of energy. It's a form. It's a numerical commodity. It's a virtual commodity, and therefore, it's nobody's liability. And that gives Bitcoin the opportunity to become an entire denomination because it's not subject to anything else. Right. And so, Bitcoin is the first layer of money of the future. Right, and it's crazy that the layer below that is energy, right? Like you said, is there's no liability on your Bitcoin because you expended the energy, or miners did, to to bring it to market, and that was again proof of work, to to imbue some sort of value. Uh, I mean, obviously the, the market participants who use Bitcoin for its properties imbue the value on it, but the the energy expended to to bring those Bitcoins to market again shows proof of work, and uh, that something was done. To, you're you're switching one good for another and energy into Bitcoin. And that's like been, I'd really love to pick your brain about this. And I think this is a great discussion, a great segue into the discussion of how this layered new layered monetary system may evolve is like, so I, I've been saying this pretty frequently on the podcast for the last couple of months is like, I, I, I just have this nagging thought in my head that, that we're going to transition like the, the, the financial stack of the future, the monetary stack of the future uh, right, is going to transition from the Fed window, so that where money is produced and distributed right now, and begins at the Fed window, and are you in conjunction with the Treasury in some regards? They work together, 
Um, and then you have the financial stack built on that. You have reserves and the commercial banking system and the investment banking system, and they uh, use those reserves to give out loans and then create these financial products, whatever they may be. And so that financial stack starts at the Fed window and goes up from there. We're going to transition. Again, I, I love that you brought energy into this into a, a new layered monetary system that, that begins at like the Bitcoin mining level, the mining pool level. And then you have these stacks built from there, whether it be you have to start out with Bitcoin mining and say you get Bitcoin, it's like you quote unquote produce it or, or have it distributed via the protocol. And then the miners distribute it to the market. And now a sophisticated derivatives products coming out like hash rate derivatives. And, and now that the lightning network exists, you can start to see the beginnings of this layered monetary system budding from, from the Bitcoin mining industry up. And that's what we're going to transition to. Like I, I've been saying the energy producers who I believe will be uh, the largest miners in the world are going to be the central banks of the future. And not in the sense that they get to decide the supplier, the interest rate tied to Bitcoin, but they, they are the, uh, the base from which the new money is, is produced and distributed to the market and the base from which that new monetary stack is built on. Yes, uh, and it brings up an interesting um, word that I on purpose left out of the book, but for months and months, I, I wrote, you know, I wrote passages and passages about that one word and the word is nonce. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I was so hyper-focused on the word nonce in the book is because of exactly what you're saying is that the origin of Bitcoin is the ability to find a number only used once by a mining algorithm. And that fundamentally is where Bitcoin comes from. It comes from this random numbers game that the miners play um, trillions of times a second. And I did end up leaving out the word nonce and, you know, more just trying to illustrate the idea that um, a tidal wave of energy is required to discover Bitcoin today. And 10 years ago, it only took a laptop. And that growth in the energy dedicated to finding Bitcoin and protecting the network from attack um, is a vital concept to understand. So in the book, I call it a tidal wave of energy. Um, but you and I know, and the freaks know that it, it comes from the hashing algorithm. It comes from the proof of work that you have to put in to originate this new form of money. And yeah, I mean, on, on down goes the stack in terms of uh, you know, the most basic way to think about it is that when people buy and sell Bitcoin on exchanges, they are owning in the interim just a Bitcoin balance. They're owning a second layer form of Bitcoin until they withdraw the coins. And so no matter how much they want self-custody, they are willing to make that trade-off to get utility out of it. Uh, and so they will hold second layer Bitcoin meaning exchange deposits, completely counterparty based money now, because you have 100% exposure to the exchange. 
forget insurance, forget all that. If the exchange goes away tomorrow, you lose your money. You don't have it. But people do make this trade every day by the billions now. And so we know that just like money is inherently hierarchical, Bitcoin is inherently hierarchical. It is, it's the proof is in the pudding. People keep Bitcoin on exchanges. And so, but the ability to go between the first and the second layer in Bitcoin far exceeds anything in the traditional system uh, where you can actually get all the way up to the first layer, take custody, have no counterparty exposure and um, be on par with any dominant financial force on the planet that also owns Bitcoin and has self-custody of it. And so I do see the system and that, that's why I told the story of gold, a multi-century story of gold, because you know a Bitcoin system might unfold in a similar way. And I think it already has started. Yeah, I think so too. And then, again, I keep, I can't stop thinking about our first conversation, right? Like we talked about the reference rate, real rate of return or um, the, the risk-free rate of return on Bitcoin, once that starts developing, then you'll see some real financialization around the protocol. And again, uh, the, the Lightning Network has advanced significantly since our, our last discussion and Lightning Pool specifically. Like how does that ability to limit counterparty risk in a 202 multi-sig hash time lock contract, eventually a point time lock contract, uh, to get yield on your Bitcoin to, 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 by loaning it out to, to people looking for liquidity on the lightning network as the, like, does it throw a wrench in like the, uh, like the cycle of how these monetary systems have developed in the future or um, in the past, excuse me. So potentially yes. And it is why I wrote the time value of Bitcoin to explore that very idea that income can happen in a non-counterparty way, and that's very powerful. Um, but you know, not to burst the bubble of the brilliant people at Lightning Labs and their product, but it's only one component of a Bitcoin-based capital market. Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, the size that you can uh, put into the Lightning Network and actually earn the yield um, it doesn't compare to some of the exchange lending or deposit lending that you can do with counterparties now in Bitcoin. And I, I don't want to pump any particular lending platform in Bitcoin terms um, in particular, but think of it in this way. You have now two different ways to earn money in Bitcoin. One has theoretically no counterparty risk and more has this channel management risk and technical risk like lightning. And the other is um, custodian lending, deposit lending, like these companies that are growing in size and are um, sponsoring a bunch of uh, your uh, podcast uh, competitors and whatnot in the industry. So, but these types of companies, these deposit-based companies are also forming ways where they have degrees of proof of reserves, insurance mechanisms, uh, transparency to the custodian level. And um, they're putting an architecture in their counterparty risk that minimizes the risk. 
of the counterparty exposure itself. So I'm not saying that if you put your money on a deposit uh, scenario that you don't have counterparty risk, but there is a technological innovation in the minimization of counterparty risk in the new system. Because we have Bitcoin, we have a blockchain where we have transparency and we have signatures and we can do proof of reserves and things of that nature. So that is just as powerful as the lightning stuff. The lightning stuff is great because it's non-counterparty and it, it, it's a total game changer, but that doesn't mean that we should ignore these other advancements even within the counterparty exposed arena, if that you know makes sense. No, it does, definitely does. Especially when you consider the, the LTV ratios that are floating around too. A lot of these, like uh, some of that risk is, is significantly reduced by over collateralizing. I know Unchain just, uh, disclaimer, sponsor the pod. I know they uh, like recently like up their, their collateralization uh, threshold minimum because they don't want to liquidate uh, their customers and the, the again the ability to, to have like a, a two or three multi-sig in which you hold one key and you can track to make sure your your bitcoin is not being rehypothecated is great but then even if they do want to rehypothecate you can have them the the service provider provide a proof of reserves at some point in the future right yeah it's very powerful shout out to unchain shout out to parker Drew. um they're doing a great job and I chatted with Parker this week and uh, just to hear what they're up to. And um, in the context of how do I explain um, certain Bitcoin companies to uh, members of the asset management industry, investment management, when they're thinking about their clients and the way that Unchained is doing things, they're thinking about uh, the whole picture and they're thinking about counterparty exposure from the ground up. And that's what multi-sig is all about. It's about this idea that we can diversify our risk of uh, in Bitcoin and the risk in Bitcoin is the management of private keys. And so if you can mitigate the management of private key risk, uh, that is an advance and that is a service. And companies like Unchained are, are working on that and doing a great job. Yeah. And again, comparing it to to layered monetary systems of the past, like I mean, technically at some points you could go to a bank and ask them to show you the gold, but you never know who else had claims on that gold, right? And uh, like, how does this affect capital allocation in your mind? And and like, does it like rehypothecation arguably could be reduced significantly if? Customers and consumers demand these type of proof of reserve systems and demand to, to hold a key when, when interacting with these counterparties. Like, like how does, again, like, is, is the stack very conservative? Yeah, uh, there's only one way to answer this question, Marty, is that people aren't bullish enough, man. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me tell you why that's the only way I can answer this. The fact that you're at answering, asking this question today and that we're talking about this idea, that the idea of rehypothecation and uh, proof of reserves and is the collateral there. Every company now on the planet, post Elon, is like it's a post Elon era now, is going to be asking these exact questions 
And many of them will come to the conclusion that unless we have self-custody, multi-state custody, or custody with proof of reserves, we don't own the Bitcoin. And then the scramble intensifies. So you literally can't be bullish enough um, when, when thinking about the fact that the world is going to ask this question for the first time in 2021 at a price above $45,000 Bitcoin, like at a, at a trillion dollars now. They're finally asking the question at a trillion. So um, yeah, people just aren't bullish enough, man. You get me all bullish now. But stay yeah. humble. But stay humble. But stay humble. But stay humble. But it's true, right? Like the, you think of, again, the, the domino effect of simply like Elon just bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin, like $300 million more than Sailor did, but he's got yeah. like like almost half the Bitcoin that he was able to get. And you think yeah. like that understanding starts to to permeate throughout boardrooms across America, across the world, and yeah. you have this mad dash and the free flow to Bitcoin is, is decreasing. Obviously more Bitcoin are being produced every block, but still even with that, uh, you you look at the charts on glass nodes of people pulling their coins off exchange and, and sucking out liquidity from, from the order books. And, and you think about and that's how- why the memes are so powerful because uh, you know if if someone asks you today oh is it too late it, it, am I too late to Bitcoin the only answer is you obviously haven't run the numbers <laughs> <laughs> you just right? haven't run them because if you have you know that the answer to that question is no it's not too late it's just starting um, and the numbers the the and when people say run the numbers, there are several numbers that you have to run to give yourself the context. One of them is the 21 million. One of them is the 18 and a half million coins that are uh, currently there. One is the several million uh, Bitcoin that will never be spoken for again, that have been lost, etc. cetera. Um, one is the stock of dollar debt on the planet, 300 trillion. One is the stock of gold in dollar terms, which is 10 trillion. And you have to run all of these numbers to reach this conclusion that no, it's not too late. It's actually just at the beginning. Yeah, is there a negative yielding debt in there? Uh, A bunch of other stuff and it's it's crazy. And another thing, like so we're only talking in the context of sucking float out of the market in terms of store value like i think preston pish had a really good thread the other day included in the newsletter right like even if you don't if some of these corporate entities or not even corporate but some of these funds want to take advantage of bitcoin's price volatility and trade the futures markets like at the end of the day those are cash settled and you have to buy bitcoin to to trade those markets both ways too so you have this compounding effect of and entities using it as a, a store of value and pulling pulling that liquidity off the market. And then other entities uh, just using it as a speculative vehicle and needing to, to pull more <laughs> supply off the market as well. Like, like you said, people aren't bullish enough. And you think of the compounding effects of, of those two things alone, let alone like retail getting in and a bunch of other things. It's... So it's, it's almost impossible to fathom. Like I've been saying today's newsletter, I'm actually going to throw some cold water on everybody and be like, Hey, just like, let's, let's 
take a step back, like think adversarial a little bit, but like still like, it's just like, so posterity I could be, Hey, look, uh, I was, I was like saying, Hey, let's, uh, let's keep all the options on the table. But when you think of all this stuff, it's like hard not to be like, Oh my God, this is going to go super high, super fast. And the cultural aspect of it too. Like there's been a tipping point culturally where it's, it's almost seems like a foregone conclusion to a bunch of people. It has been a tipping point culturally um, the last six months and the last two months in the last two weeks, um, for sure. And that's very exciting. And, you know, the other point is that there's just not that much Bitcoin available. And this is why the Bitcoin standard and Safedine's book uh, were so, it's why so many people identified with it is because the point that he drove home, the point that everybody took home is there is no supply response like an econ 101. There is no supply response in Bitcoin. And that- Completely inelastic. Yeah, it's completely inelastic. And uh, Safe Hitting illustrated this um, to everybody. And I actually hadn't even read his book when we went to Dallas uh, for BitBlock Boom in, in 2018. And so when I saw him speak on stage about this, um, obviously it was, I had to run the numbers already. So I knew that, right? But I knew that there was no supply response because I had studied the algorithm and how it worked. But w- when he illustrated that, it was um, it was a game changer for millions around the world, I think. And um, you know, part of the reason why uh, hodlers are so strong today, it's part it's partly because of that that uh, illustration from Safe. Yeah. And again, like similar similarly to layer money, like going to the history of money and how it's evolved. It's crazy to think how ignorant most of the world is to, to this evolution and to the properties of money and the function of money and, and why it works the way it does and how it works the way it does and how you should want your money to work. Yeah. And yeah. Saifedean, um, you know, he taught a lot of people about money with his book. And so I wanted to um, do something similar where I wanted to teach people about money with my book. So I wanted to write something very different from his. His his is an econ book. Mine is a capital markets type of book. It's written through the lens of a bond trader, um, not the lens of an economist. And uh, I thought that it could be a compliment to his for people that want to think of money again uh, from the beginning. But from a from a price perspective from uh a security perspective from a trading perspective and um and so you know it's a definitely the bitcoin standard show showed us that um a book about bitcoin can have demand and like it can sell and it's even a career option for me so you know there's a lot that uh the book uh you know helped inspire and i hope to one day replace safe uh, with layer you know as with layered money as the book that everyone recommends about bitcoin um i that was the goal um it's i'm you know there's no shame in telling everyone that that you know the goal was to write the best book ever written about bitcoin and um i hope that i hope that the book lives on and that people will use it as an educational resource uh, around the world a lot of languages are coming down 
Um, this year, I've already sold the rights to translations in a couple Asian countries already. Um, and uh, Spanish is something that I might be heavily involved in myself. Um, with some help, I might self-publish the Spanish one as well. Um, or I might, uh, you know, use a third party for that. But um, th this book is going to go around the world uh, this year. And I'm, I'm just really pumped. Go check it out, Layered Money. Um, I'm just really excited for it. Yeah, I am as well. And like, Safe tweeted out last week. Like he's had the three best months of sales ever. And the book's yeah. been out for, for quite a while now. Like it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. The the it's inspiring also to know how many human beings read books still. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, people really actually are still reading. And um, you know, if you are on social media or other mainstream media, um, you know, sometimes it's tough to remember that that's not that's not most of the world what right. they're doing most of the world is doing their own thing and trying to work on themselves and make themselves better and the demand for the audiobook has been the most insane thing ever now that i study the amazon charts i know that um you know the audiobook when it comes out will outsell the paperback and the kindle um easily uh, the demand is insane guy swan has finished recording him going over it right now um it'll be out soon guys i promise it'll be out really soon oh yeah no, i was gonna say guy got that smooth southern draw it's, uh, it's so good it's so good i i'm listening this morning and just taking some notes here or there but he he killed it um it was a no-brainer too like i knew six months ago that i would ask guy to, to read the book when it was done so uh it's been a fun partnership and it's been cool working with him and uh, we can't wait to put it out together. We are co-producing it. Um, so, you know, the way that it works on Audible is you, you split the, you have the potential to split the royalties with your narrator. So we are 50-50 partners in it and it's uh, happy to be in business with Guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Obligatory is Clubhouse gonna disrupt books. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Yeah, not. I found myself on Clubhouse for the first couple times this week. Uh, interesting platform, I like it. Interesting. Um, I think that I think it's a honeymoon phase. That I think everybody's overhyping a little bit. I was be. hyping it. It might be. Um, it, it also seems like it's a, more of like a quarantine. Like people are just have a little bit more time to do that kind of thing. But um, and also when, a longing, right, for for interaction with people. There's a longing for interaction. Pod. Yeah, that that's really what it is. Like people just really wanting to just chat again. But um, cool platform. We'll see. Yeah, I'm liking books. I got some old books downstairs I have to read. Uh, yeah, dude, we've got better part of eight billion people to educate about money, the history of money, and, and the future of money. So I'm pretty bullish on layered money. Uh, the again, the again, the the context and the, the the direction that you take the book, starting from a historical perspective. And again, the visuals, like really highlighting how complex the, the money system has gotten uh, under the Federal Reserve and the Euro dollar system. Like the Euro dollar just still blows my mind, like how, how it even operates. It's a very big black, black pool, dark pool in my mind. Um, I think that's actually what it's defined as. But yeah, man, I, I, I'm pumped for you. I am excited that you wrote this book and happy 
that people are going to be able to learn about money. It's important. Like, and that's what I say on this podcast all the time, fix the money, fix the world. Bitcoin is here to do that. Layered money explains how uh, it does that and comparing it to monetary system we had today and uh, systems we've had throughout, throughout the centuries. So props to you. Uh, Thank you, man. And I do acknowledge the freaks in the book. Uh, if you guys read the acknowledgements, um, I thank everybody that read the time value Bitcoin. And the reason why I thank everybody that read the time value Bitcoin is because it was you all that uh, helped me find my path to becoming a writer about Bitcoin and a writer just in general, because I was only a bond trader at that time. And I thought of myself as a researcher, but never thought of myself as a writer until that article dropped. You had me on the pod. We met in Dallas. Um, people started reading it and said, you know, when, when are you going to write more about Bitcoin and the Lightning Network? So shout out to all the freaks and, um, you know, really everybody that read the Time Value Bitcoin in 2018. Uh, I didn't get to the acknowledgements yet. I'm, uh, the freaks, man. It's strong. It's a strong contingent. It's uh, the. I mean, it, it like that. I think again, like at that point in time when you put out the time value of Bitcoin, people are like, "All right, how does this? How does this evolve from here?" And I think that piece particularly really sort of set a a flag in the ground. It's to, to like sort of start marching towards and be like, all right, this is, this is probably how it's going to develop. And so there's a cap, there was a capital market vision for Bitcoin back then that I had and others shared. Um, and the, the mission was world reserve currency. The mission was world reserve currency before that, but, um, then it was like, okay, how do we progress toward there? using their game against them, uh, using their language, using their structure and architecture. And how can we define Bitcoin in this new way that basically steals the important stuff and, and, rids, um, and rids the system of everything else? Yeah. I love the shout out to Nas too. Just looking at the acknowledgements there. So, hey, listen, hip hop, hip hop made me. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> It's funny, like when people ask me, oh, who's your favorite um, author? Or like, who's your favorite writer? It's all MCs. It's like Nas and Jay-Z and Tupac and Talib Kweli. It's rest not- Rest in peace, MF Doom, man. Rest in peace, Doom. Um, you know, it's not, um, it's not other authors. So I take a lot of inspiration from hip hop. Uh, I gave up pretty much everything in my life during 2020 to write this book. Um, in terms of my hobbies, except for hip hop, I needed 30 to 45 minutes in my car listening to my music every day in order to get the creative juices going so that I could come home and continue writing this story for, for everybody. So, um, yeah, uh, you know, Nas is my favorite rapper and uh, my favorite writer and poet. So that's why uh, he got one. Oh, yeah. 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 I think um, Jay Rock and, and Kendrick's. Wow, freestyle really is is a song that describes Bitcoin. Fuck your plan, I'ma burn that castle. Mm-hmm. It's sick murder when I say go. That's hey, listen, a- Marty, we could have done the whole pot on hip hop, dude. I, mean, <laughs> I, 
could we just could have talked hip hop the whole time and just not even talked about Bitcoin. So yeah. Well, next time. Next time. There's gonna be plenty more times to do this. Uh, you have a, a wide open invitation to Tales from the Crypt whenever. Thank you, brother. You feel uh, you need to say something. So again, thank you for coming on, taking some time to walk through Layered Money today. Thank you for writing the book, Freaks. If you haven't already, go check it out. Like Nick mentioned, uh, Guy Swan's smooth Southern draw is going to be going to be hitting the airwaves. Reading reading this book to, to whoever wants to get the audio book. What else should we know before we part here, Nick? Any any final thoughts? Any any uh, words of wisdom for the freaks out there? Uh, I'm excited to hear all of your feedback on the book. Truly, so leave a review on Amazon. Um, send me a DM, contact me at layeredmoney.com. Let me know what you think of the book. Um, let me know what I should write next uh, in two, three years when that time comes. Um, and, uh, and, and just, uh, yeah, go, go check out the book. Uh, it's, uh, it's a life's work. So, um, you know, it would, make me, it would make me happy to know that there are more and more readers out there. Yeah, well... Speaking of next book, I'd love to help you out with some Bitcoin native financial products and stack. That's like something that gets my my juices flowing. Um, so Nick, thank you. It's morning where you are. I hope you have a, a great rest of your morning, great rest of your day. Um, tell your wife I said what's up and uh, we'll do this again at some point uh, next year, next six months, whatever. Uh, Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Marty. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Peace and love, freaks.